God bless. Um, you guys want to move on up? I always feel like I'm talking further away, further away, further away. Move on up. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Just a few people here I like to have us kind of close together so that we can be able to at least um, be able to see your face. Okay, so we talked about this last week. We talked about First Peter, and we we're we're going to actually end up uh, finishing First Peter this week, um, and we'll be completely over with it. Praise the Lord! Now we're going to go on to Second Peter, but let's just go over a quick quick review of some of the stuff for First Peter, and we'll we'll finish up today's lesson today. Can anybody tell me when First Peter was written? Anybody know? Yes. That is correct. 63 to 65 AD. Um, if you're new to here, we're, we're, what we're doing is we're going over pastoral epistles. And pretty much these are epistles that um, were written uh, by Paul, but they're written also to the pastor. Okay, but this is some things that we can learn as far as understanding how we should deal with our Christian lives. What was the theme of 1 Peter? Does anybody know? Go ahead. Suffering, suffering, correct. It's said that suffering is mentioned 16 times and grace is mentioned 8 times. Put the two of them together, what do you find? You need to have grace during your suffering, okay? Understanding that the suffering that comes has to be done through grace and nothing else. If you try to do it on your own, you will get through it. You'll, you'll do something that you regret. you do something that is against the will of God. So you must ask God for the grace to get through suffering. Okay. And then we find here the purposes. The purposes for suffering. Or I'm sorry, the purposes for First Peter. Do you know what the purposes are? Got them, Miss Patty? Go ahead. There's two purposes. One is to give encouragement during suffering. And secondly, to exhort to Christian living, meaning to encourage your Christian living. First Peter was carried by Silas, and it was written from the small. Uh, it was written from Babylon on the Euphrates River. Now, there's three different places that people like to say that it's from. Some people like to say that it was Babylon, the small city in Egypt. The second place would be Rome, and the third place would be, of course, what we consider, which is the Babylon on the Euphrates River. Then we went through what suffering is. I'm not going to go through those, but just for sake of time, I'm just going to point out a couple of them. Uh, number one, uh, one of the things I like to point out, when we suffer, it assures us that we are God's children. What does that mean? When we go through suffering, some people think that Christian life is just a, a field of roses. You're tiptoeing through the tulips. Nothing's going to go wrong. And I think it's the opposite of that. You 
start living for God and you start living for the things of, uh, of God, eventually what's going to happen, the devil, he's going to try to say, no, I don't want this guy to do this. He was my child at one time. Now he is not my child, and I want to stop everything he does encouraging what God does for him. So what devil will do, he'll come in just like he did with Job, and he'll ask the Lord, can I do this? Can I do this? Remember, though, that God does not allow. Nothing happens to you without God's permission first. Okay? The Bible says God will give you a way of escape. So the important thing that we need to remember through this lesson in suffering is the idea that we as Christians can't forget the importance that God is the one that puts us in that place. He allows that place to be happening. And we as Christians... We don't have to say, well, why God do this to me? We don't have to ask why. All we have to say is, okay, God, what do you want me to do? When we understand that, we will understand the importance of suffering. Here we go. Second thing I want to point out, and, and this is just uh, out of seven points, it helps to cleanse us from sin. When we go through suffering, when we go through trials, what happens? You should increase in faith, right? Some Christians don't. Some Christians go through a trial, and what's the first thing they do? They whine, they complain, they trust in their own flesh. And so eventually what happens? They never learn. They never understand completely what God is trying to get across to them. How do we understand what God wants us to do? Well, first of all, God gives us things to do. He puts us through suffering. So that we can, first of all, come to him and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I need to have fellowship with God. I need to understand God's trying to get my attention. Okay? And that's why it helps us to cleanse us from sin. Then last week we talked about, or actually two weeks ago, we talked about God's grace and salvation. God's grace and salvation. And there's three things that we find about God's grace and salvation. And that's number one, we find hope. We find hope. And what are those hopes are? We've been taken from death to life, from rags to riches. When we were in sin, guess what? We were living uh, our spiritual lives without the grace of God. But when we get saved and we accept Christ as our Savior, put our faith and trust in Him, we repent of our sins, what happens? We, we obtain God's riches. And what is God's riches? Whatever He wants for us. So that's important. Second thing that we find here is that we are living in holiness. When we're having God's grace and salvation, we are living in holiness because of two things. Because of sacrifice and because of love. When we have those two things, we understand that we have holiness because of what God loved us. The Bible says that he, we love him because he what? First loved us. Sacrifice. Christ sacrificed himself. He had, didn't have to. He didn't have to lay down his life, but he did. And because he did, and he shed his blood, we are transferred his holiness. Not our own holy holiness. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy. Okay? And so that's important. And thirdly, we are living, not only we live in hope, holiness, but also in harmony. In harmony. And how are we living in harmony? How do we live in harmony with the people around us? 
How do we live in harmony with the people in our church? How do we live in harmony with people in our family? Three things. In love. Okay. God loved us. We should love others. Secondly, in the word. So how are you going to be able to be faithfully loved? A husband, a wife, a child, a mother, a daughter, whatever it may be, a friend, through the word. And secondly, in consecration. Meaning set apart. Meaning you're no longer set to do the things of the world, but you're going to be set apart to do the things of God. Okay? Now, we talked about uh, real brief. uh, We got actually through quite a bit. And we talked about God's grace and submission. God's grace and submission. And I talked about three different things that we talked that we must have God's grace in. First of all, we must have submission to authorities. And I gave the example, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, that you must give what? Obey every ordinance of man. Okay? The importance there is what should you disobey that should you ever disobey man's laws? Should you ever disobey man's laws? Right. The only time that you should stop obeying man's laws is when it goes against God's laws. If man's law says you must kill all Christians, should you do that? No, because the Bible is very clear about that. But we must submit to authority. Is speeding or going over the speed limit against God's laws? Yes, it is. And how do you say that? Well, if God gave us a government and an authority to say, hey, you need to do this, this, and this. Okay? But if the church were to step in and say, or the government would step in and say, you can only preach this, this, and this. We have, it's getting more and more clear recently that the idea of homosexuality is not something you should preach against, against the sin. If government came in and regulated what pastor preached, would he be sinning against God if he did not preach against the sin of homosexuality? He would be, wouldn't he? We as Christians must first obey God and then man. So we got, I had three, actually went over three things. We went through submission to authorities, submission in the household. And we talked about the importance of uh, wives and children. Submission in the home. Let's go over this again. First Peter chapter 3. A submission in the home. Submission in the home. First Peter chapter 3 and what do we find in verse 1 and we talked about this last week so I won't go over it again but it says likewise ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold their chaste conversation coupled with fear Whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plating of the hair and wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy men also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose whose daughters ye are, 
as long as you do well and are not afraid in any amazement. All right, I went over this all last week. Don't need to go over it again. Just the importance of women submitting to their husbands. Now we're going to talk about submission in the church. Submission in the church. And we find in verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to the knowledge, given honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Every man deals with this. We have such differences between the man and the wife. There is so many things that we have in difference. Uh, it's amazement that man, uh, man can get along with a woman <laughs> and vice versa. A woman can get along with a man. But it's very clear here. It says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to the knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. What does honor mean? What is the husband, how is the husband to honor his wife? I'm sorry? Respect. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a very good, that's a close definition. What other verses in the Bible talk about honoring? And what commandment is that? Exactly. That's the point I was trying to get across. How does a child honor his mom and dad? Does he come to her, come to his mom and dad reproachfully? Does he come to his, his mom and dad with the sense of, I'm better than you? No. When he honors his wife, what does he do? He must speak to her with respect. No man, if he is really honoring his wife, will ever hit his wife. Okay? No man that really honors his wife, and some of us men have this problem, is what? He's not going to yell at her and scream at her and be uh, reproachful to her. The Bible is very clear here. What does it say? Honor your wife. It says here, it says, give with them according to knowledge, give honor unto his wife as unto the weaker vessel. Many times we, we men, we get into this mindset that our wives are to do everything in the home and the man's not to do anything. I don't think that's completely true. I, I do think, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. I, I, I struggle with this myself. There is responsibilities that a man should be helping his wife. Now, who is the helpmate supposed to be? The wife is supposed to be the helpmate. So women, don't expect for your husband to always be helping you. But man should take into consideration, hey, I do need to help her in this situation. There's going to be times when a man's going to have to step in and say, how can I help my wife? Maybe it's dealing with a child. This child is a knucklehead. This child has problems, and the wife is at her wit's end. How do I deal with this? God gives man the understanding to how to deal with that child. You should be able to lead the wife. She is the weaker vessel. What do we mean by when we say weaker vessel? Are we saying that she's underneath man? What are we? You're nodding your head back there, honey. What do you? What do you mean by that? What does a weaker vessel mean to you? Is that is that weak? Oh, a sign of weakness, being emotional. 
explain what you're saying. Anybody else want to step into this? Ms. Reyna? Reality? Okay. I'm sorry? Okay. Okay. Physically weaker. I really believe that God created us men and women differently. Uh, there is uh, there's a difference between nurturing, right? Nurturing. And the woman is a very nurturing creature, right? She always loves the babies, you know, my little girls. We got someone got uh, uh, Callie a baby for Christmas, and we gave her that baby. And you should see the look on her face. She grabbed that baby, had a big old smile on her face. She loved the baby. What do boys do? They see a baby, boom! You know, they want to kick the baby, right? Uh, you think about my nephew uh, Timmy. Yeah, Timmy's—he's a little bad boy, but he. Uh, my mom, you know, little girls—they they have they're totally different, you know, and. Uh, if you gave a little girl a nice dress, ooh, she would just really like that. A boy, he doesn't see clothes as important, does he? Uh, my nephew, he saw the clothes, and he opened up the, a gift from my mom, and he says, I don't want that. <laughs> Threw it down. And my brother looked at him and says, what would you say? And, of course, he had to deal with that. But you know what? A boy, he is total, uh, a man is different than a woman in the sense what? They have different desires. They have different inclinations. And the Bible does say she is the weaker vessel. Uh, your boy, your, your son will understand that when he wrestles your sister, his sister, you know. Tries to get something away from his sister. I learned that very early on. My sister couldn't compete with me. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's right. I should have what? As a man, I should have the understanding she is the weaker vessel. And I need to treat her with respect. The 50s, the 40s was the golden age of how to become a gentleman. Become a gentleman. Yeah, I think it even goes back further than that. I think the 50s started, it started going downhill. But if you notice, a lot of men were very, they call it chauvinist. But very men would open the door for ladies. Okay? They used to open the door for uh, their wife to get out of the car. Uh, it was said that a man that was chivalrous, I don't know how you say that in Spanish, chivalry, okay, he was very uh, thoughtful of the woman. If it was raining outside, what would he do? He would go get the car and bring her up and open the door for her, maybe get the umbrella and hold it for her. That is showing what? Yes, she is the weaker vessel. We should treat her with what? Honor. And respect. Okay? Maybe she's had a rough day. And I've even heard, uh, we have a person that we went to a conference, uh, Mr. Maxwell. And he says that, you know, his wife, she has, how many kids do they have? Nine? How many? Eight kids. Okay? He'd come home, she would just be totally exhausted. And so what would he do? He would go to the store with all eight kids. He would go grocery shopping for her. He would have one kid on the front, one kid on the back, okay? He would take the shopping cart, and he'd have the kids go get this food for him. And what would his wife do at home? She would take a bubble bath. She would take a rest. Why? Because she is the weaker vessel. We need to understand that when it comes to homeschooling, when it comes to home chores, 
I think it's important to understand. I, I, don't, I understand that some women have to work outside the home. But let me tell you something. I, I, I have sympathy for them because I realize that there's a lot of responsibility, not just – I can't imagine my wife working outside the home now. I really can't. It would be hard for her. With five kids, cleaning house, taking care of meals, I'd have to say, wow, how is she going to get it done? And then she works eight hours out of the home. It would be very hard for her. I have sympathy for you ladies that have to do that. But let me tell you something. As husbands, our goal should be what? Make it easier for the what? Weaker vessel. It says in verse 7, it says, Together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Verse 7 of chapter 3. Verse 7 of chapter 3. We as husbands must understand that we should what? If we are not giving honor to the wife, we are not helping the weaker vessel, what does that last part of the verse say? That our prayers are going to be hindered. When you pray and ask God, God's going to say, Psh, you're not doing what I ask you to do. We need to understand that. Verse 8, finally, be all of one mind. And this is where we're going to get into uh, the church. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love is the brother. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should be, that ye should inherit a blessing. Hold on, let me make sure I don't read over where I'm supposed to be here. Okay, this is going to be First uh, Peter chapter three, seven through twelve. Okay, it says, "For he will that will love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lip that they speak no what's guile again." What guile? We have this in the Bible. What does guile mean? What are you reading? Okay, deceit. Fake. Okay. It says here, let him eschew. What does eschew mean? Eschew means to avoid, to shun, to abstain from, keep away from. Okay. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I think it's very important, some things I'd like to point out here. What do we find? We find we should have submission to each other. It says, finally, be of one mind, having compassion one of another. It says, love as, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. I'm in verse uh, uh, verse 8. Sorry. Be pitiful. Be courteous. What does it mean to be courteous? Think of other people. Okay, uh, we have ladies in the church that might have a baby. Are you thinking what that family's going through without their wife in charge? Okay, I'm I'm not too bad of a cook, am I, honey? The kids like when I cook something because Daddy usually uses the fat. Okay, I'm really into the butter. Okay, but you know what? Maybe it's not someone like me. Maybe it's someone else that's not had a lot of experience in cooking. A father. Can you imagine what it's like when he has to cook something? And the kid's are like, okay. And I know I'm uh, not that my dad wasn't a good cook, but you know there was he. There's some things he just didn't do well on, and uh, he he had his set things. Uh, we should be courteous. We should say, hey, well, let's go and bring some dish over to them, and let's help them out in this area. 
you know, Ralphie's uh, wife just had, uh, Miss Yolanda just had a baby. Let's go take a dish to them. Say, hey, we'd like to help you out. Here's something for you to eat. And it's important to be courteous, be thoughtful, all right? Love as what, brethren? It says, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. When we see something bad, you know, it's going to happen. People are going to do stupid stuff because they're still what? They're still of the old man sometimes. And we as Christians, we see something evil happen to us. Should we render back evil? Meaning, should we give back evil? No, I think we should do things that are, that are is a sweet spirit. It says not for railing for railing. Okay? We could have someone come in here and, and say bad things about you and, and really belabor that. But how should we do with that? I think we as Christians should try our best not to be talking about them, praying for them, but not to be talking about them, especially if they've said something that is untrue. We have a responsibility as Christians to say, okay, I need to be a Christ-filled person. How would Christ react to this? Many times, the Pharisees tried to what? They tried to destroy him. What did Jesus do back? The Bible says when he was reviled, reviled not again. you get that? A reviled means um, when he was um, reviled means to like, be like uh, 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 accused, to be reproached, to be uh, uh, to get angry at, okay? Uh, to say hateful, spiteful words at someone, okay? Vile is what? What does it mean to vile? When you think of vile, what does it mean? Okay, so re, revile. What the root word of vile is evil, gross, base, nasty. Okay? Revile means you do it over and over and over and over again. Okay? Does that make sense, Oscar? Okay, so revile, you just keep on... Right? Don't revile. Okay? So we know that's the importance of submission in the church. Now let's go to Christ's example of submission. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. It says in verse 22, and it's talking about Christ, it's for us who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. All right, so he had a clean mouth. Okay, he had a clean mouth. What does that mean? It means there wasn't nasty things coming out of his mouth. I have to admit, when I was younger in college, sometimes I'd get mad at someone and I would say things that was hateful and was harsh, and I should never do that. My goal should be what? As one as a Christian, your spirit should not be overcoming you as a person. Unless it's Christ's spirit. Christ's spirit should be overcoming you. When your spirit overcomes you, guess what happens? You become ugly. You become something that Christ is not glorified with. And that's what Jesus did here. It says, there was no guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. He was not ugly with his mouth. He was not hateful with his mouth. If anything, he was encouraging. It does say that Jesus did call the Pharisees. Uh, what did he call them? Okay. And what, so does this verse contradict what Jesus did? 
was the truth, okay? Christ was trying to get people to understand where the Pharisees stood. Okay? They had a they had a what? They were and you know what? It probably was a pretty known fact. People probably in their hearts agreed with what Christ had to say. Yeah, you're right. And see, these people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees of their days, they did not think themselves as wrong. Okay? But Christ, what did he do? Guile means what? Guile means the idea of a deceit, deception, cunningness, crafting, craftiness, trickery. Sometimes people say things just to do what? To get ahead. I told my, my I used to tell my sister this all the time. Now that she does this, don't get me wrong. My sister, I, I, she sounded always sounded like she was being fake. I like, said, so she sound fake. You know, it was just a critique of her how, how she acted. I said, you just seem fake. And, uh, and she'd say, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. And we'd have that argument back and back and forth. Now I don't do that anymore. That was about 15 years ago, okay? Um, but uh, the importance here is when we talk to people, is it, are we trying to get ahead? Are we trying to, uh, are we trying to lift ourselves up? Or are we really doing things just because we want to help this person? We want to encourage this person. All right, Christ had a clean mouth. Secondly, Christ had a correct response. And his, it says here, um, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. We as Christians have to understand something. That when we talk to others, we got to remember that our mouths are what? Are Christ's. Okay? So when we talk, would we say that in front of Jesus Christ? Would we have that same type of speech? Christ had the correct response every time. You look through the Old Testament and look how Christ responded. My favorite one is when he had the adulterous woman before him. What did he do? He looked down and he started drawing in the sand, right? Why? Because he wasn't going to say anything because they knew that they were trying to trick him. Another favorite response that I've had with Christ did when the, when the uh, Pharisees came to him. And they said, they said uh, uh, they're talking about the, um, uh, it was the woman that had, the man that had died. Or no, 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 I'm sorry. It was the one with uh, Moses where he was, uh, they were talking about Moses. And they were talking about who was the greatest prophet. Right? You guys remember that? No? Oscar? And he said, he said, and they asked him, the disciples asked him, who, who is the greatest? You know? And maybe, now I'm getting them all confused. Hold on. Uh, there's actually two or three of them that I'm getting confused. Uh, there's one where the disciples came in, and they said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I got that confused with another one. Where, yeah, they asked him, who, who is the greatest? You know, John the Baptist. Was it Moses? Yeah. But anyway, his response was always what? Um, cryptic. You know when I say, when I say cryptic? Meaning that there was always something that you had to think about for a second. Okay? He wasn't just going to come out and blah, blah, blah. No, he thought about what he was going to say, and he what? Slowly told them. And they had to think. You look through the Bible. Even the disciples, one time they said, this is a hard saying. Who can know it? Why did he say that? 
Why didn't he just say, oh, this is what's going to happen, this is going to happen? Because he wanted his disciples to think about it. He wanted them to have a thought process in their speech. And I think in the same sense, we have to have that same correct response when we're dealing with individuals. We can't just blah, puke it out. we got to think about it. Thirdly, not only did Christ have a correct response, but Christ had a clear commitment. He had a clear commitment. And his submission, his example, was he knew that the one thing that he had to do was he had the one person that he was committed to, and that was who? God, his heavenly Father. When we're dealing with people, when we're having a, a hateful spirit, or we're having a spiteful spirit, what should we do? Remember, there's one person that we really need to please. And who is that? That's God, the Heavenly Father. All right, we're almost done, and I'm almost out of time. But let's look at the last part. We talked about God's grace and salvation, letter A. We talked about God's grace in submission, letter B. And lastly, in letter C, we talked about God's grace in suffering. God's grace in suffering. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. And this is, uh, you'll find this passage, I'm not going to read the whole thing just for sake of time. 1 Peter chapter 3, 13 through verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. We find God's grace in suffering. First of all, make Christ Lord of your life. Verse 13, and who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We were in that one, didn't we? Is that one we learned, Brother Oscar? It's a good verse. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready to always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, I, I think sometimes, nothing against what Brother Barker does or anything like that, but I have to say, sometimes, I don't think Jehovah's Witnesses are asking you about your hope. I think sometimes they're just trying to uh, catch you on something that they think is wrong. Sometimes we, I think you can give people the gospel, but I think sometimes you can waste time with people. If they don't want to listen to you, that's the Holy Spirit. They're not listening to the Holy Spirit. I back away. Go find somebody else that wants to listen. Sometimes they're just what? You're throwing your pearls before the swine. Okay? Just keep throwing it. Oh, yeah. Just going to keep throwing it. You know, if they don't want to listen, move on. I remember bus workers, soul winners, that I would go out on Saturdays, and they would spend half the afternoon talking to a Jehovah Witness. And that person would walk away, and they just had no desire to even listen. They were just trying to argue. I remember one time... We argued with for four hours with a guy from Salvation Army. The guy was worthless. He didn't want to listen. He had his own thoughts. And I think sometimes our best bet is there's tons of people in this world that need to hear the gospel. Why waste it on one person if they don't want to hear? The Bible says that they harden their hearts. Just like Pharaoh. I can go on, move on. That's just my personal opinion. I mean, maybe you have something different. And, but I, I really believe sometimes when you're witnessing, the best bet is just to move on. Okay, all right. You give them the gospel. You give them. A lot of times, I'll just give them the gospel. I'll start going through the verses, 
And they'll start interrupting me. Oh, hold on. Let me go through this. I'll go through the whole verse. I'll give them each verse. Give them why. And then if they want to start arguing with me, fine. I'll answer him. I'll give them some answers. But if they don't want to listen, I don't need to do this. Move on. It says, God's grace and suffering, make the Christ Lord of your life. And I kind of went on the, uh, the, the rabbit trail there for a second. But the Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. He is the one that's going to change you. He's the one that's going to be a part of your life. Sanctify means set apart. Okay? Let him be the Lord God of your life. Secondly, have the attitude of Christ. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he be no longer should live in the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our lives, life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, looseness, um, lasciviousness is this idea of uh, a loose living, okay? Lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Verse 4, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to, the, to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. But ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer, and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man that hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Oracles is this idea of words or utterances of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I thought it very interesting if you take that verse where it says, And above all things have fervent what? Charity. That's in verse, uh, verse 8. And above all things have fervent charity. Okay? Love with action. Okay, love with action. Uh, a good definition, a transition of the Greek word agape, a word that su suggests unselfish, self-sacrificing concern. When you have what charity, you're not thinking of yourself. The only person you're thinking is is others. Okay, fervent charity. Okay, among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Is it saying that if you have? Uh, Charity or unselfish love that you're going, the sins you commit are going to be covered up? No, I think to be quite honest with you, what it's saying is you do something wrong to someone and you might offend someone and you might something in, in doing something in the flesh. What does the Bible say? If he's your enemy, what? Do good to him. All right? 
if you're gonna, if someone does wrong to you and you just keep loving them and giving them charity and being unselfish and keep giving and keep doing things for them, guess what they're gonna say? Wow, why does this person keep doing this? Why do they keep loving me? Why do they keep reaching out towards me? It could be in your own church. You know, people in this church, they don't come, they're not faithful. They don't want to be a part of the fellowship of Christ. What do you do? Call them up. Hey, how you been? Missed you, loved you. How you we're just praying for you. Hey, would you like to come out for coffee? This idea of charity is the importance. Glorifies, and i got to move on because I'm really out of time. Glorify Christ's names. 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 19. I'm not going to read this. I'm going to give you the rest of them, and then we'll, then we'll close in order of prayer. Um, fourthly, look for Christ's return. So this is all under God's grace and suffering. Look for Christ's return. Fifthly, depend on God's grace. 1 Peter chapter 5. 7 through 11. And lastly, depend with faith in Christ. Depend with faith in Christ. All right. I'm out of time. But let's close in a word of prayer. Let's stand together. We'll probably go over just to review some of those things that I kind of mentioned. And then next week we'll go over Second Peter. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this uh, day. I thank you for the grace that you've given. Lord, I pray that the lessons we learned today would apply to us, and Lord, that we would be willing to take it to the next level than just hearing, but being a doer. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you just help me to be the Christian I ought to be in my family, in my home. I pray that I'd be a Christian I need to be in my church. Lord, I pray that we would want to bless others and have charity towards others. I pray that you be with the service this morning. Blessed.